The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing. We're your nation's public radio source for the news, advice, tips, techniques, and strategies you need to know to successfully invest in real estate, whether that means that you just are wanting to buy a couple of rental properties to keep for your retirement or whether you want to go into real estate investing as a full-time occupation. And today is question and answer week on the last Wednesday of the month. We generally just throw open the microphone for your questions. You can contact us now in three ways. You can call us at 877-772-9658. You can send an email to askvina at gmail.com. And now you can tweet your questions to at regoddess. At regoddess is our Twitter account where you can uh, post your questions for me and I suppose the rest of the world to see. That's at regoddess. And remember, goddess has two Ds and two Ss. We have that... uh, that, that spelling issue a lot. The number in the studio again, 877-772-9658, 877-772-9658, or the uh, email address is askvena at gmail.com. That's askvena at gmail.com. The Real Estate Investors Association of Greater Cincinnati has its first meeting for the month of February next Thursday, February the 6th. Uh, This is the annual 2014 market forecast by a panel of our successful investors in various fields. We've got folks representing note investing, wholesaling, apartments, um, just all, all aspects of the real estate business talking about what changed for them in 2013 and what they expect to do differently to grow their businesses in 2014. Uh, the early meeting is a fair housing uh, mock mock mediation. So if you are uh, looking to figure out what happens when you do get a fair housing complaint or to get those all important fair housing OPHP or NPHP credits, you can come to the early meeting at six o'clock and get more information about Cincinnati RIA meetings at CincinnatiRIA.com. And don't forget that on February the 8th, Cincinnati RIA and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association are sponsoring an all-day seminar called Say Yes to Money Now with Ms. Laurel Langmeyer, our guest here on Real Life Real Estate a few weeks ago. Uh, she's also, of course, a nationally known business coach, author of five best-selling financial books, and 
um, well-known throughout the world for her business building advice. You can get more information about signing up for that all-day seminar here in Cincinnati on February 8th at CincinnatiRia.com. It's question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate Investing. And if you're wondering why it seems like I'm tap dancing, that's because without your questions, there simply are no uh there's no topic here on Real Life Real Estate. So if you're sitting there with a question and uh, even thinking so much as, well, I, I want to ask that question, but I'm, I'm just not sure, uh, this is the time to do it. 877-772-9658. AskVina at gmail.com or you can Twitter at RE Goddess. A question here from, let me scroll down to the bottom and find the name. Bud, who lives in New York, he says, we bought a two-family home in May. are in the process of renovating the lower unit where the previous owner lived. I've come to find out that this 86-year-old property has a shared meter problem. This means that all the common area electrical usage must be on a separate meter. This could be a difficult and costly procedure, considering that there are electrical lines running in all different directions. Before I have an electrician come in and give me an estimate on adding this new meter service, I have a question about including utilities with the rent, along with the pros and cons of such an arrangement. My wife believes that the tenants will leave on all the lights 24-7 and will end up losing money every month. Any feedback on how how to go about including electric and other utilities with the rent and also have the tenants keep their usage low would be greatly appreciated. Ah, such a such a common conundrum with multifamilies in areas where the properties are going to tend to be older. Uh, for those of you who are maybe from, I don't know, Phoenix or someplace where nothing was built prior to 1965, uh, Bud's problem is that the uh, although he may have two separate electric meters for his two family, one of those two meters uh, includes and pays for the hallways, the basement, the areas that uh, there is no... Um, single usage. So uh, if I'm the tenant on whose bill the the hall and basement is being lit and heated, uh, I'm going to be an unhappy camper. And in some places, laws have been passed or Section 8 requirements have been passed that say that you absolutely must have separately metered common areas. And uh, if you're going to charge, if you're going to have the tenants pay the utilities. So uh, Bud's question is whether it might be easier just for him to pay the utilities, include them in the rent. And the 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 basic answer, Bud, is that your wife is kind of right. Um, it is it is true that tenants are less careful about their electric usage and about, in particular, their heat when they are not the ones receiving the bill every month. And although you certainly can command a higher rent on a unit where the utilities are included, you almost can never command rent enough higher to cover the bill. And it, it, it seems counterintuitive that if I can get $500 a month for a one-bedroom apartment and the utilities are going to run about $100 a month, I should be able to get 600 if I'm covering the utilities. But typically I can't. I can get 550 560 570 something like that. On the other hand, you are, of course, going to have to weigh that against the potentially very large cost of having the property rewired onto an additional meter. Uh, and there, there are certainly some ways to save money with that by 
Uh, if your area allows it, uh, using wire molding on the outside of the walls instead of tearing up the walls, things like that. But you, you're going to have to prorate the potentially high cost of that versus how much uh, you're likely to lose each month by including the utilities. And you may you may find that you're going to, quote, lose 25 30 40 bucks a month by including the utilities, but offset against a $5,000 rewiring job and the fact that you only plan to own the building for three more years, you might uh, you might decide that you should go ahead and just include the utilities. Sorry, I didn't have an answer that you wanted to hear there, bud, but your wife's right. You should have known that. She's always right, right? You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. It's question and answer week. So any questions that you have about real estate investing, management, finance, wholesaling, retailing, landlording, lease options, whatever you would like to know, give us a call at 877-772-9658. Email us at askvina at gmail.com or you can send us a tweet at regoddess. Welcome back. Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. It's question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate. Taking your questions via email, askvina at gmail.com, via Twitter at regoddess, or at 877-772-9658 if you'd like to take the simple solution and just call it in. A question here from Gianfranco in Los Angeles. He says, what have you heard about the new Dodd-Frank regulation and what impact it might have on real estate investing? Will it impact one investment strategy more than others? I've heard that it might have an impact on someone wanting to do private lending, for instance. Uh, Yes, Gianfranco, I, along with everybody else on the planet, have heard about Dodd-Frank, and particularly in the last couple of months, uh, as the deadline for it going into effect got closer and closer and closer, there was an enormous influx of information, some of it not good, I mean, like, not, it wasn't good quality information, uh, coming at us from Facebook and um, emails and gurus and blah, 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 blah. And the short story, uh, okay, two two things. Number one, next week here on Real Life Real Estate, we are having Ron LeGrand come on the show and talk about the Dodd-Frank Act and what it really means to real estate investors like you and me. So if you can just sit tight for a week, we'll have an entire discussion on it for an hour, which it does in fact uh, warrant. Um the second thing is in regards to private lenders, which are typically people who are going to make loans to investors for the purpose of buying properties, rehabbing properties, that sort of thing. Uh, the Dodd-Frank Act does not actually affect them at all because it only addresses loans made to people who are going to live in their houses. So uh, backing up to your very first question, yes, it's going to have a much bigger impact on some strategies than it does on others. If you are selling properties wholesale, uh, no impact on you at all. If you are selling properties retail, no impact on you because it's not you that has to follow the rules. It's the bank who's loaning your home buyer money. If you are selling houses to homeowners on any kind of financing, uh, land contracts, uh, uh, owner carryback mortgages in your in your state, uh, owner carryback uh, mortgages backed by deeds of trust. Yes, it is absolutely going to impact you, and the rules are something that you need to just learn and follow, and not run away from. 
So, uh, yes, absolutely. A, a lot of the language within the Dodd-Frank Act is going to affect you if you are selling properties to homeowners and carrying financing. But otherwise, you're probably just going to not even know that it happened. So more discussion on that next week here on Real Life Real Estate. And thank you very much for your question, Gianfranco. If you have a question about real estate investing in any of its forms, uh, why don't you give us a call at 877-772-9658. You can also send us an email. The email address is askvina at gmail.com. You can also send us now a, a tweet. It was pointed out to me the other day that most human Americans under the age of uh, thirty actually no, they don't they don't send emails anymore. They can they, they they instant message. They they you know Facebook now has this thing where you can instant message people on their phones. They text. They tweet, and that uh, maybe we should I don't know figure out a way to get into this century. So contact us via Twitter at Ari Goddess. Now of course. You can also join us on Facebook by uh, checking out and liking our Facebook page. It's uh, facebook.com slash real life real estate. Uh, throughout the weeks, we often will post information up there about upcoming events, news. Uh, we posted a video up there last week of a tour of the station here so that you can actually meet everyone whose voices you hear here on real life real estate. And uh, you can check that out facebook.com forward slash real life real estate. Uh, We're going to take a quick break and after which we will come back and get your questions. 877-772-9658 at Ari Goddess on Twitter or askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. It's question and answer week here on Real life, real estate, and uh, having a little bit of trouble with the internet connection in here, but we are still striving to take your questions at eight seven 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 two nine six five eight at askvina at gmail dot com or send a tweet at re goddess. Um, question here. Well, that's not really a question. Uh, Brian from Minneapolis says, I stumbled across your show as I was researching Larry Harbolt. Love the show. Keep up the great job. I've gone back to the archives and listened to a few more. Uh, yeah, common, um, common misconception here on real life real estate that I sort of feel like I have to clear up about every two months is we are a live radio show. Uh, it broadcasts out of WMKV here in the Cincinnati area. Uh, on Wednesdays at five o'clock. So if you're listening to the podcast right now and saying, wow, this is a great podcast. I wonder when she records them. No, no, no. They're live, which is how people ask questions on question and answer week. If you are from out of the area and you want to listen live, you can listen uh, to the streaming audio at wmkvfm.org, Wednesdays, five to 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, on the flip side, we get a lot of people who listen to the show on the radio and say, oh, man, I missed the first 10 minutes. How can I hear that? Well, uh, it's podcast on iTunes. So if you go to iTunes and look up Real Life Real Estate, you will find uh, an account there with uh, going on, gosh, 200 shows at this point. Uh, you could listen to Real Life Real Estate investing all day and all night for for a year and uh then you'd run out of shows, but we'd have 52 more at that point. So 
You can either listen to the podcast or live or better yet, both, like hopefully Brian is right now. It's question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate Investing, uh, taking your calls at 877-772-9658 or your emails at askvina at gmail.com. You can also uh, send us a tweet at Twitter. Twitter is the Twitter address is at RE Goddess. Um, I got an email here from who is this from? It is a long, long email. Uh, it's from Bob here in Cincinnati. And it is referencing an article that came out uh, uh, on uh, uh, ecredit.com. And actually, that's a that's a it's an article that's uh, been been republished in many places on the Internet that says that in the United States in December of this year, so a month ago, 46 percent of the sales of the real estate sales were cash sales, cash sales. And that as a result of all of this, the uh, first time home buyers are are being squeezed out of the market because uh, they're competing with these cash buyers for the same properties. They're they're competing for the uh, sort of bread and butter type houses that are uh, cheap. You know, I mean, they're 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 not the cheapest houses in any market, but they're they're relatively inexpensive, and that. Um, Many times a first-time homebuyer out there looking for a property they can afford and saying, I need 45 days to close it and I need a f- I need you know FHA to come and do their appraisal and I'm pre-qualified but I haven't been approved and blah, 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 uh, are getting squeezed out by these uh, private equity funds primarily, but also real estate investors in general who are walking in with literal cash, like we can close in a week and we can write a check. And Bob's question is along the lines of with with the cash purchases being this high, uh, how can we, meaning real estate investors, uh, compete with these private equity funds for these properties? And part of the answer, Bob, was answered last week when Eddie Speed was here talking about uh, basically this exact same topic. The report came out after he was on the show, but uh, he he mentioned that uh, sales were approaching Thirty-six uh, percent last year. Cash sales were approaching thirty-six uh, percent in all of 2013, and that uh, the, you know the private equity funds you don't you don't fight them, you work with them. You have to remember that most of these funds that are out in many many markets buying up every decent looking mid low priced house are only buying them by looking in MLS. So they're, they're, they've got an agent who's looking for properties for them. They're buying them at sheriff sales. And they're buying them, in some cases, in bulk directly from the banks. So what do all three of those have in common? They are, they are on-market, advertised houses. Most of the private equity funds do not have a system or method or practice of directly contacting potential sellers whose properties are not listed. And every successful real estate investor I know who is buying properties that you know doesn't ha- that can't write a check for a property in a week is doing it with off-market properties. 
And then Eddie's suggestion was find a couple of these private equity funds in your area. And, and, and if you find an off-market property, they will maybe buy it from you if you want to wholesale. Uh, or, of course, you can retail it or hold on to it for lease option or whatever. The confusion that folks are feeling around the country, the small investors are feeling around the country, is similar to the confusion everyone was feeling in 2008 and 2009 when the rug was pulled out from under us in terms of uh, there, there's no financing available to buy properties. There's no there's no home buyers out there who want our retail deals. Uh, prices are dropping like a rock and we don't know what to pay for rental. It, it, that this this has happened in recent memory in the other direction. You know, in 2009, there were a ton of deals and no institutional money to buy it with. And so uh, everybody changed their practices and started using private lenders and partners and, you know, individual people who were a little scared of the stock market and wanted to put their money in real estate passively. And that is still going on today. And everyone who's gotten into the market since then has gotten very spoiled by deals are everywhere and now they're not everywhere. (laughs) And so... Everybody who's been in the market for five years or less is all standing around going, there's no deals. Well, yeah, there are. They're just not the deals in MLS that you're used to seeing all the time. So uh, thank you very much for passing that article on. Bob, maybe we can get that up on the Facebook site uh, here right after the show so that everybody can read it. It's um, It's an interesting good news, bad news type of article, depending on uh, what what perspective you are coming from. If you're a first-time homebuyer, you might read that article and say, well, I have to buy something, but I'm apparently never going to get to because these cash-heavy buyers are taking everything. And if you're a cash-heavy buyer, you might be thinking, yay! And if you're a, if you're someone who has a lot of private lenders, you might be thinking, yay! And if you're not, and you're not familiar with the idea of marketing out to the world... You might be thinking that's a bad thing. So um, we'll post it up after the show at uh, real life, or at facebook.com slash real life real estate. And you all can comment and make your own decisions about that. It's question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate. And uh, we are taking calls at 877-772-9658. We are also taking um, emails, Ask Vina at gmail.com or you can tweet us at Ari Goddess. I mean, I, that, that's hard for me to say. I've been saying the same two things so long. and I, I keep wanting to say twit us or Twitter us or all sorts of things that don't sound quite right. And uh, anyway, contact us any way you like. Um, someone just sent us a question via Facebook. It's Janet. Janet from I don't know where. She says... Would you mind telling me your definition of, quote, a war zone? I'd like to come to your next summit. Wish you would come to Memphis. Um, I wish I was in Memphis right now, too. What's the weather like down there, Janet? If it's higher than 20 degrees, it's better than it is here. And I just I just uh, now created a show that we can't ever rerun because everyone will know. You're going to run it like, you know, like pull it out in July and rerun it. And everyone's going to be like, I don't think she's talking live. Uh, Janet says, Janet wants to know uh, what a war zone is. And... That's just kind of a um, a jargony term that you hear thrown around in uh, real estate a lot uh, p- by people who are uh, defining 
neighborhoods in terms of the prices of properties and uh, what you are likely to see in the way of um, condition of properties. And it's in 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 the world in which I sort of live and invest, there are there are kind of there are five sorts of neighborhoods. There's there's and we call them type one through five. And a, a level five neighborhood is like luxury gated communities with awesome schools and very expensive properties and and you know, literally like you can't see the houses from the road because they're all behind hedges and have nine acres with them and so on. So those areas we don't deal with very much as real estate investors. Uh, type three, which would be right in the middle, is the bread and butter type neighborhood that we were just discussing for the first time home buyers, the um, relatively inexpensive neighborhood where most people who live there are homeowners. They are not renters. Although in a in a bread and butter neighborhood, you, you might have like 55 to 60 percent homeowners and 40 percent renters. It is a primarily homeowner occupied neighborhood. The next neighborhood down, which is a, a, a very heavily rental area, it's going to be like maybe 70 to 80 percent renters that live there and maybe 20 percent homeowners uh, is is an area where a lot of people like to buy houses to rent because you can get them relatively cheaply and the cash flow is very high. The war zone describes an area where there are effectively 100% of the people who live there are going to be renters. But the thing is, there aren't going to be a ton of people living there because there are so many board ups and abandoned properties and um, uh, just just open crime and drug dealing. And it's not that you can't find drug dealing in a bread and butter neighborhood or for that matter, probably in a type five luxury area. It's just very, you know, open air. Uh, someone once described a war zone to me as an area in which the police have just basically given over control of the area to the criminals. Now, the funny thing is a lot of cities don't have what I would describe as a true war zone. They don't have an, they don't have an area where you can literally stop at a traffic light and be offered crack through your car window. Okay. They have, they have neighborhoods that everybody in the city considers, oh, that's the worst neighborhood, but they're really actually border zones. They're not, they're not war zones. So uh, Memphis, I couldn't speak to uh, directly. I'm not, I haven't spent enough time in Memphis to know if you guys have a true war zone, but uh, basically what we're talking about there is lots of board ups uh, everybody who does live there is a tenant and very open crime and drug dealing. And of course, the um, is there money to be made in real estate and war zones? Yes, but it takes a very, very strong stomach to do the management. So, um, no, all of Detroit is not a war zone. Nice try, though, Mike. I actually have some students who are doing very well in the Detroit market. Now, they're not investing in the city of Detroit where there's no city services anymore. Because apparently, seriously, like apparently in the city of Detroit, there's whole streets where the the, the uh, streetlights don't work anymore, and 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 the police don't come when you call them and stuff like that. But the uh, I have some some folks who are doing very very well in the first ring of suburbs around Detroit, where you can still you can still pick up properties pretty cheaply, but there's actually police and schools and <laughs> things like that. You know, Detroit's kind of a situation in itself right now. Uh, and, and most people I know do not want to invest in the city of Detroit. Although if you do, I know some people who have houses for sale there for $500. I'm not exaggerating. Uh, let's go to the phones and talk to David, who's uh, calling from Maryland. David, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Hi, Dina. How are you? I'm very good. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Um, I am an investor. i um, been investing now for a number of years. 
I, I was on a uh, riding a high in that I, I was a landlord who didn't have any problems. And then all of a sudden I ran into problem after problem after problem after problem. So I kind of slowed everything down. But now I'm getting back into the investing again. So I want to ask you a question about funding. Mm-hmm. I, I, I found some pretty good properties. Um, the numbers seem to work out well. And I have a couple of people who will be private investors. Mm-hmm. Um but, but I just have one question, and that is, um, in, do I secure the funds prior to making the offer, or do I make the offer and take them the deal and, and market the deal? Well, so so you, you have some people who have raised their hand and said, yes, I would be willing to look at a deal if you had one. Yeah. And that's that's about as far as the conversation has gone. It's not I guarantee that if you find a deal meeting certain criteria I'll fund it, right? Nothing nothing is nothing has been guaranteed. I don't have anything in writing saying it's guaranteed, but they definitely want to do some investing um you know, as a as a private as a as a quiet silent investor, so to speak. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Before I get into detail about answering your question, David, I'm going to give you the same disclaimer that I give to everybody who wants to talk about private money, and that is make sure that you know and are following the rules in Maryland because it is it is driven on a state by state basis. As long as you are borrowing money from Maryland to invest in Maryland. Mm-hmm. And there may be there may be some kind of a requirement that you register these loans with the state, or that you get a, a no action letter from the state saying, "Yeah, I'm going to borrow money, but it's going to be less than a million bucks." Uh, different states have different rules, so I'm I'm just gonna I'm gonna leave that up to you to to take okay. care of that no, part of it. Um, in the situation that you're in, and it's 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 cool that you've got people who have raised their hands. But I understand your fear of going out and telling someone that you can pay X dollars for their house when it's not a sure thing yet. Right. The the best thing to do is get back on the phone with these folks who have said, hey, talk to me some more. Have a pretty detailed discussion about the kinds of terms that you're going to be looking at and also about the need for them to make a decision quickly once a property presents itself. And and I mean, at this at this point, you need to you need to separate the wheat from the chaff by saying I am going out and making some offers this week. Uh, within a month, I will probably have a deal to present to you. And I need to know that you can do whatever you need to do and make a decision and write a check within 10 days. Can you do that or not? Okay. And if they say, well, no, I don't know. I mean, I'm going to need to talk to my financial advisor and this person and that person. Then what you're going to say is, all right, I am, I am moving you down the list. When I get a deal, and I do it with somebody else. I will show you how the numbers worked out so that you can you can present a deal that's already happened and see if they're in agreement, but I cannot, I cannot go out and make offers based on what you just told me. I'm going to go to the guy who's ready to, to write a check. And then when you write the offers, you simply write them with a financing contingency that says I have a private lender. He is going to need seven days to approve the loan. Now that's obviously much less than a bank would need. Right? So that, Mm -hmm. that shouldn't be a contingency that, a lot of people are going to buck at or complain about. And that way, if if none of these people steps up, then you, you don't have to buy the deal because you had the contingency. I don't have to close if I don't find this person. Now, the other thing that I want to make sure of is that you in your own mind have figured up all of the 
terms that you want to offer. Because one of the one of the mistakes I see people who used to be in the business and they left and they came back is that they are offering too much interest. And I say okay, that, that, yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm I'm looking at um, on average about eight percent, eight to ten percent interest. Okay. Um, if I was your if, if I was your private lender, if I was one of the people you were talking to about private money, and I heard you say eight to ten percent, guess which number I heard? Ten. Mm-hmm. So, 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 no, I, so I, you're I, looking I, at I, you're looking at six to eight, right? That's what you meant to say. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know I got that part. I, yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm good at doing the marketing piece. I can I can market. Um, uh, and and what I what I've tried to do in the past is I develop a, a, um, a sheet a, a spec sheet mm-hmm. that shows the property and um, how it stands now, the rehab cost. You know, do a, do a property analysis and mm-hmm. what we can sell it for quickly. Okay, so and so, so I can I can pretty much tell them what they can expect to. So these to are short term churning loans. These aren't these aren't on properties that you intend to keep. No. Okay. Okay. No, eight to ten percent is actually fine for a shorter term loan. I, I I was I was if you were if you were planning on holding them, ten is probably too high. You're mm-hmm. you, you're not you you typically after your expenses aren't going to make a lot of money. With a ten percent loan, but yeah, sure, eight, eight to ten percent is is great for a loan that you're only going to hold for six months at the outside, and uh, it's great that you have spec sheets for these folks because, as you know, they are mostly not real estate people, and if you walk them through a junker, they're going to think it's going to cost a hundred thousand to fix, and it's only going to cost you twenty five, right? Because they don't, right. <laughs> they don't have your sources and your contractors, and they don't know what what you're going to do and not do and why. Exactly. So that's all great. Now, one other thing: have you have you uh, created or had an attorney create some sort of disclosure for these folks that they would sign at the closing, saying, "I understand that all loans have risk. I understand that some or all of my money could actually be at, at I could lose it. I could lose some or all of my money. All that sort of thing." Yeah, we have um, on the spec sheet. Um, there's a um, line towards the bottom, and it's highlighted, and it says pretty much. Um, this is an investment opportunity. All investment opportunities have a op- um, the uh, possibility of, of risk. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I haven't had a, a lawyer look at it, but I do identify it as an investment opportunity, and there is a risk of loss. However, we do the best that we can to avoid that risk. And luckily, so far, the times that I've done this in the past, I haven't had any loss at all. Everybody's always made money. So. Mm-hmm. And 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 when you're talking to them, of course, that's what you want to say. You don't want, like like you do not want to. It's difficult to say to someone there's risk of loss here. But I would like to see you get a detailed disclosure signed at the closing, or or, or, or even even before since this is a lender before the closing, uh, detailing that. You know, you understand this. You're agreeing to it. You can afford to lose the money. You understand that there's. I mean, you you know, there's things that happen to properties that are uninsurable risks. Right. Like you, you could find yourself with a burning hole in the ground and a seventy thousand dollar mortgage on that burning hole in the ground, or depending on where you're working in Maryland, maybe a hundred and seventy thousand dollar mortgage right. on a right. burning hole in the ground. And even though you had insurance, the insurance won't cover it. So all that sort of stuff needs, and, and I'm not saying, I mean, I'm sure you would find a way to make that right, but you probably couldn't do it immediately, right? It would be maybe yeah, a multi-year yeah. payout. So you, if, if, if there's ever any question about what you said to someone, you want to be able to pull out disclosure and say, look, Mr. Judge, 
they fully understood, they agreed that they could that they could afford to take this risk, that it was not going to deal such financial damage to them, that it was going to end their lives. And the fact that they're now here in court saying that I told them different is wrong because I've got to sign disclosure here. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much. Um, I'm going to get working on that right away because I have a couple of properties <laughs> that, that are calling out my name. Yeah. Well, and, and, and also, uh, we'd like to see you back at Traction Rhea. So oh, <laughs> get well, I'm actually I'm actually taking a sabbatical this year from going around the country and speaking to groups, but I'll be happy to talk to Tom about 2015. <laughs> <laughs> very good. All right, thank, <laughs> thank you, thank you very much Bye. for your call, David. Appreciate that. Uh, time for a quick bake. It's a real life real estate investing question and answer week. Eight seven 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 two nine six five eight. Askvina at gmail dot com or at Ari Goddess if you'd like to tweet us a question. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. It's question and answer week. We've probably got time for one or two more quick questions. You can send those by email, askvina at gmail.com, or you can uh, give us a call, 877-772-9658. You can also tweet us, tweet us at re goddess. I'm sorry, I can't. I never, I never like tweet anyone, so I don't, I don't know what the proper usage is. Um, <laughs> going to back to uh, the um, email uh, feed here. Um, oh, this is a good question. Um, you often ask for show ideas, so here's my suggestion for a case study. I have often pondered this question and would love to hear it discussed. If you have 50000 cash, would you buy a $30,000 house and rehab it to rent, owning it free and clear? Or would you buy a $300,000 multifamily with financing at 10% down, assuming the rent roll is the same ratio for both properties? I'd be interested in hearing the pros and cons of this strategy. That's from Paul in South Carolina. And um, so, so if you're asking me if I had $50,000 cash, would I buy a $30,000 house and rehab it to rent or would I use it as a down payment on a multifamily? Uh, my answer would be I would go out and buy two $50,000 houses for $25,000 a piece for cash rather than put the down payment on the finance deal. But Paul, you, you realize that that is, that, that's a, that's a, that's an answer from me, given where I am. If it were 20 years ago, my answer to you would have been, I would have found five $50,000 or $10,000, $50,000 houses that I could put 5000 down a piece. Because at that point in my real estate life, uh, leverage was super important. I, need, I, I needed to leverage, 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 leverage in order to acquire enough properties that 20 years later, I would have 10 paid off rentals, right? So um, the, the answer would be different. I mean, we can certainly do a show about that, but the answer would be very different depending on who you were talking to and sort of where they were in their lives and real estate investing careers. Uh, something I've noticed over the course of the last four or five years after, after the market crashed and many landlords who had highly leveraged their properties lost them. And I mean, some of them lost portfolios of 
dozens to hundreds of properties when the market crashed. And now they typically have gotten back into the market. They they stayed out for a year or two because it was just too scary. And then they saw the awesome deals that were out there, particularly in this part of the country. And they just couldn't resist jumping back in. But they are extremely averse to the idea of debt. Like it, like it scares them. The idea of, of even what we call, you know, good debt. There's good debt and bad debt. Even what we call good debt, where it's just a fraction of the value of the property. The payments are very affordable, even if something goes wrong and the property stays vacant for three months, all of that sort of thing. They still don't want it. And that is a, it's a reaction to what happened to them and what happened to the market. And, um, you know, many of them will, would say, wow, if I'd have had, you know, I, I had 50 properties and I was refinancing them every couple of years, full cash out to buy more properties, which I thought was a really good strategy because then I had more properties, but then I lost them all and everything I'd worked for and built and, I struggled to to keep them going and I lost money and it was a terribly painful situation and so on. Um, If I had only had those paid off, I would be fine right now. And so that's sort of their, that's sort of their feeling about it. I I wish there was such a thing as a, a spreadsheet I could just like create for you that said, well, in this situation, you're going to want to put spend $50,000 and buy a house. And in this situation, you're going to want to do things differently. But uh, and I'm sure there is, you know, some there. Actually, I have seen the mathematical quote proof that there's a certain amount of leverage that's the perfect amount of leverage to maximize your returning cash flow. But when you have just come through a market like we came through, the numbers don't really matter as much as what makes you able to sleep at night. So uh, it's a great question. And if I can figure out how to do a program on that, maybe we could do a debate type thing, then uh, we will do that and um, appreciate it. But uh, it's, it's really a very situational type question. And thank you for it. Um, we are, looks like, out of questions at this point. So let me just remind everybody that uh, you need to go to CincinnatiRia.com. Check out the Cincinnati Rhea slash O-Rhea one-day seminar on February 8th with Laurel Langemeyer. And uh, uh, should be a should be a good day. You can get more information about that at CincinnatiRia.com. And uh, come to the Cincinnati Rhea meeting next week if you're going to be in the area. Learn about what our active investors are doing in 2014. Again, more information at CincinnatiRia.com. We'll be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Mm